Good morning, faith family. It's great to see if you got a Bible, go to the book of Jonah. Book of Jonah this morning, I am very excited. We're starting a new series called The Runaway. I know, I know, I know. I'm excited about every series, but, and I mean this, like I am really excited about these next few weeks. We're going to take just a verse-by-verse look at this amazing book in the Old Testament called Jonah. It may be a story that many of you kind of heard when you were kids, but I'm going to tell you, we're going to see God, and we're going to see His grace, and we're going to see the gospel in a whole new way. I'm going to warn you, so consider yourself warned, it's going to be intense, very, very intense. Uh, But we're going to see, because we spent the month of March talking about gospel transformation, about our vision for that, and Jonah may very well be the best narrative, the best story in the Bible that shows us how the gospel can transform a life. So we're going to just intro that this morning by looking at the first three verses. Um, And as a friend of mine and I talked about last night, there will not be any meat left on the bone when we get finished with these three verses. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're able to do so, as we look here at Jonah chapter 1, 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. This is God's Word. Would you please pray with me? God, I ask you now that you would send your Holy Spirit in this place to break our hearts, to open our eyes, to see our hearts for how they really are. I pray, Lord, that you would do the work that only you can do as we look at your word. Expose us, break us, and bring us home. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Hopefully she won't run again like she did last time. That was the headline of a New York Post article about a woman by the name of Jennifer Wilbanks. She was a woman that was trying to get married again. You see, Jennifer had become very popular several years before that when she disappeared from her small town in Georgia just four days before she was to be married. Her disappearance caused a lot of drama. Uh, There was a volunteer force of about 250 people that tried to find her. A lot of the people in the community accused her fiancé of murder. The police department spent over $60,000 trying to find her. She finally turned up. She called her fiancé a few days later and said, I've been assaulted and kidnapped. The truth She was hiding in her parents' house in New Mexico. Why? 
she admitted, because I didn't want to get married. Now, when that truth came out, she faced a lot of consequences. Public humiliation. In fact, they nicknamed her the runaway bride. How many of you saw the movie? She received a felony for false information to the police. She was put on two years probation with community service and had to pay back over $2,000 in fines. And when I read that, I thought, Jennifer, 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 it would have been a whole lot easier if you would have just said, I don't want to marry you. But then I realized she's just like me. Any of you ever taken the long way around? Any of you when, I don't mean like leaving somebody at the altar, but any of you like come face to face when something was difficult and you didn't want to deal with it and it was a whole lot easier to just run and hide? I'll tell you what it looked like in your life. You ignored the person. You dodged the conversation. You swept the problem under the rug. You transferred schools. You got out of the relationship. You moved to a different city. You started sending your resume out. You see, there's a lot of ways that you and I, when we're faced with a difficult situation, something that we do not want to address, there are many ways we can run and hide. And here's the truth, dear friends, right here. Don't we tend to end up making a bigger mess? And that's exactly what happens to Jonah. When we come to these first three verses, we are immediately introduced with a man on the run. But it's not just any man. This is a prophet of God who has received the call of God to be on mission with God, but he runs. Look at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, arise and go to Nineveh. In other words, Jonah here gets this very clear, direct message from God. There is no stuttering. There is no vagueness. God is so clear. He gives a message to Jonah. How many of you are jealous? You ever been there in your life where you're like, God, could you just make it clear? Text message? <laughs> Send me an email, write it in the sky. We've said this, God, if you would just make it clear, I promise I'd obey. Not so fast, my friend. The Bible is actually full of people who knew God but ran. Adam and Eve knew the very presence of God. What did they do? They ran and hid. David knew the very power of God when he was being chased by Saul. What did he do? He ran and hid. The disciples knew who Jesus was, but when soldiers started to come into the garden that night, they ran and hid. Jonah has a direct message from God, but he's running, which tells us not just in Jonah, but also in the Bible, this imagery of sin is often imaged by running from God. No, 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 sometimes that's literally running, like in Jonah's case. 
But sometimes it's not the running of the feet, it's the running of the heart. And it shows us something about this running. It shows us about the nature of sin in our lives. So put your seatbelt on. This is going to get intense. Jonah's running shows us, first of all, that sin is an insult to God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh. In other words, this. God extends a gracious invitation to an undeserving man, and he refuses. Do you feel the weight of that? It's one thing when you disobey your parents. It's another thing when you ignore your boss. It's an entirely different thing when you look in the face of a holy God and say, no, thank you. Christian, do you want to be used of God? Do you want to experience joy in life? I want to use you to do things you can't even imagine could happen through your life. And what do we sometimes do? No, thanks. Non-Christian, those of you maybe outside of Christ this morning, you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, this morning you could be forgiven of your sins and brought into a right relationship with God. And though I hope this will not be the case, some of you might say, no thanks. It is an insult to the highest degree to look at the gracious invitation of God and say, I don't want to. That's because the nature of sin isn't a bad habit. It's not a character flaw. Sin is looking at the gracious invitation of God and saying no. But sin is not only seen here in Jonah's running as an insult, it's also seen as intentional. Notice what the text says in verse 3. It says, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Little geography lesson. Notice the map. Can you find Nineveh? Hmm. Nineveh is east. Can you find Tarshish? The exact opposite direction and a long, 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 long ways away, I might add. Jonah's going in the opposite direction. Well, maybe he's just directionally challenged, like your spouse, you know, can't even, ooh, <laughs> can't even go to the grocery store without getting lost. Maybe Jonah, like these people, had a bad GPS. As three women escaped the vehicle, and they're blaming bad GPS for leading them right into danger. Come before us, John Flick, live now with the latest. Good morning. Good morning, Mike and Molly. Well, the women are okay. I talked with one of their co-workers who tells me they're in town for a conference. They were on this road right here late last night, got lost. Well, they drove right into the slough and just kept on going. <laughs> Members of the Mercer Island dive team on a mission get to a Mercedes submerged in the slough. It's an SUV recovery in murky water. Soon, they're all hooked up, and after several starts and stops, the tow truck does its work, slowly pulling the vehicle to dry land. 
how this all happened is quite a story of getting lost and apparently bad GPS directions. In sitcom parodies of something like this and uh, to actually see it's surprising. Bellevue fire officials admit this can be a confusing area in the dark. I don't know why they wouldn't question uh, driving into a puddle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't make this up. I mean, at what point do you have to realize, maybe we're not going the right direction? Like when water is pouring into the vehicle, I don't know. We think maybe Jonah's just directionally challenged. Maybe he just has a bad GPS, but no, 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 no. Jonah knows exactly what he's doing. This is a deliberate decision by Jonah to do the opposite of what God has told him to do. Because that's what sin is. Sin is when God has clearly spoken, but we intentionally do the opposite. This is where it gets a little close to home. Because Jonah is not the only person to whom God has been pretty clear about some things. Has God not been clear in how we are to do our work honestly? Has God not been clear about what baptism is and your need to follow in it? Has God not been clear about the kind of language we should use? Has God not been clear about financially supporting the work of the ministry? Has God not been clear about sexuality? Has God not been clear about the importance of prayer? Has God not been clear about forgiving as you've been forgiven? Has God not been clear about commitment to the church? Has God not been clear about the importance of evangelism? Do you see, dear friends, we spend so many hours talking about the gray areas of God's will. It might do us well to start with the black and white. The problem in my life is not the clarity of God. It's my selective hearing. That there are things in my life I say, sure, I'll do that, but that I will not do. How many times we have said, I know I'm supposed to, but. You see, dear friends, if you want to be on a ship to Tarshish, there's about a thousand ships ready to take you there. All you have to do is intentionally say, I want on board. That's exactly what sin is. It's insulting to God. It is intentional so often. But Jonah's sin is also indifferent. Notice what the text says. So he paid a fare and went down into it, that is the ship, to go with them to Tarshish. He buys a ticket to go a long, long, long ways away. You just saw the map. This journey is going to take many, many months, and most scholars say that this fare would have cost at least a year's worth of salary. Imagine a forty, fifty, eighty thousand dollar plane ticket to China. But Jonah doesn't care. 
He's willing to pay the fare. Do you know why? He doesn't care the cost. He doesn't care how far he has to travel. He doesn't care how long it's going to take him to get there. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. And that's exactly what sin will do in our lives. That's what it did for Jonah. I don't care that the lie is going to cost me my job. I don't care that this behavior is going to impact my children or grandchildren. I don't care that this addiction robs me of my soul. You do realize that sin is the local anesthesia of the soul? It numbs you to the danger. And it doesn't matter how many people you have in your life telling you, wake up. You don't give a flip. It's like that, that famous scene in Trains, Planes, and Automobiles. Do you remember that movie? They're going the wrong direction on a one-way street, and the car next to them is yelling, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. And what's their response? How does he know where I'm going? And then they look up, and they're about to collide with two semis. Friends, there are people screaming in your life, maybe literally, for you to wake up of where the path you're on is leading you. But you have concluded that you don't care how much the fare is to ride this ship. You're in it for the journey. Oh, that God right now would begin to turn your heart around. Jonah's sin is insulting. It is intentional. It is indifferent. He doesn't care about the cost. But notice also it is irrational. Two phrases in verse 3. Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Last phrase of verse 3, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. The reader at this point should be saying, silly rabbit, <laughs> you can't run from God. Do I need to remind you that Jonah is an Orthodox Jew? You don't need to remind him of God's omnipresence. He is fully aware theologically that God is everywhere. In fact, this is not meant to be taken literal. It is a literary device used for the reader to understand the depths of Jonah's rebellion. Namely, sin will tell you it will provide for you what you know it can't. But you'll believe it anyways. Sin will make you believe, I can be outside the presence of God. God won't even know what's going on, even though you theologically know better. Since when was sin rational? And yet that's exactly where Jonah is. Sin convinced him that he could do what he knew he couldn't do. It's like playing hide-and-seek with my kids. You ever play hide-and-seek with your little kids? Ashlyn, my youngest, will play hide-and-seek, and, seek and she'll, she'll, like, get on the couch and just do this. <laughs> and I'll walk in the room, and I'll say, I see you. 
And then in round two, she'll just get like a pillow, you know, and do that. (laughs) Or she'll hide somewhere fairly decent, and all I have to do is say something funny, and I can hear her giggle. (laughs) And she gives away her location. She thinks she can hide from me. You know she can't. And trying to hide from God is like a two-year-old thinking they can hide from their parents. It's irrational. Jonah's sin is insulting, it is intentional, it's indifferent, and that is the response of every human heart. Every one of us in this room at some point has refused the gracious offer of God, irrationally thinking we know better, indifferent to the consequences. Now, if you're paying attention at all at this point, you should be asking, why is he running like Jennifer Wilbanks? Why don't you just tell God you don't want to go? I mean, if this is what his running demonstrates in terms of sin, but we got to answer the question, why are you even running in the first place? Maybe he's like Moses. He doesn't feel equipped for the job. Remember Moses? I can't, I can't, I I stutter. I can't be your mouthpiece, God. I can't do this. Maybe Jonah feels unequipped. Maybe, Maybe he doesn't like the message. I mean, after all, who wants to hear a sermon on judgment? or sin for that matter, but maybe Nineveh doesn't have a Starbucks. That'd be enough for me. I can't, I can't, there has to be a Starbucks. Maybe he's afraid of what they'll do to him. He would have every reason to be afraid. Listen to what the prophet Nahum says about the Ninevites in Nahum chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, the crack of the whip and the rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword, glittering spear, host of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies. It's not where you go on vacation. You're a long way from the magical kingdom. And I may need to warn you, this is the rated R portion of this sermon. Historically, one of the kings, Asher Bonapal, when prophets from other nations would come into his land, he would cut off their lips. Another king, Tiglath-Pileser, which are two names I enjoy, Asher Bonapal and Tiglath-Pileser. When he would capture a city, he would fillet them alive, take their skulls and pile them around the countryside as a reminder of what happens when you mess with him. And he would take the heads of those foreign leaders and make a necklace. You want me to go where? That's a suicide mission. But I would submit to you that Jonah is not running because he feels unequipped. He's not running because he doesn't like the message. He's not even running because he's afraid. The reason Jonah is running is directly related to the reason God is sending 
Verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Here's the phrase. For their evil has come up before me. Does that ring a bell? You ever heard that phrase before in the Bible? I'll tell you where it comes from. Genesis chapter 18. You ever heard of a place called Sodom and Gomorrah? The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah came up before the eyes of God. And what did God do? He poured out judgment upon them. And what did God do with his prophets? He sent them out. In this case, what is he doing with his prophet? He's sending him in. That's a clue. A clue to what? A clue that God's intention for Nineveh is not destruction, it's salvation. I'll prove that in just a moment. But we need to ask, who are these Ninevites? Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. Assyria, the nation that captured the northern kingdom of Israel, mistreated their women and their children, killed their soldiers, took their land. God is calling Jonah to go to the very people Israel hated. Not just with the intention to warn them, but with the intention to save them, the very thing Jonah can't stand. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah and Jonah runs. Why? Because the only thing he hates more than Ninevites is a God that would be merciful to them. They don't need salvation. You want my opinion? They need to be destroyed. They don't need grace, God. They need justice. If you know anything about this book, you have heard it said that Jonah runs because he's a racist bigot. Well, he is, but that's not why he's running. He's running because he can't stomach the grace of God. Chapter 4, 1 and 2, here's the proof. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He is fuming mad. Why? He prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Chapter 1. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Chapter 1. For, so here's the reason. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. What is Jonah angry about? The sickening grace of God. How in the world can you be so gracious to people like that? Do you see, dear friends, Jonah's sin is not just insulting and intentional and indifferent and irrational. Right here, right here, right here, it's internal. 
Some of you would say, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm sitting down. And that's the point. The issue isn't the running of your feet. It is the running of your heart. And this shows us, dear friend, oh, please hear me. Two ways Christians often run and don't even know it. You say, well, why do you say Christians? It's because Jonah is a part of the people of God. He's a child of God. He's a part of the covenant people of Israel. Meaning, he shows us the way often we as children of God run. And here they are, right here. Come on. Often we run because we fear the results of our obedience. I'm going to let that set for a moment. Jonah's unfaithfulness is due to the fact that he doesn't want to face the results of his faithfulness. If I go to Nineveh, those people receive the grace of God. I don't want that. So I'd rather be on a ship to Tarshish. We do that all the time. Let me tell you how this looks in our life. If I do what God has called me to do, that girl, that boy I really want to date wouldn't date me. If I really lived for God the way God has called me to live, that group of friends that I really want to be accepted by would reject me. If I took seriously the call of God on my life, my work situation would start getting really awkward. If I gave the way I feel God is calling me to give, I wouldn't be able to get that shiny object I want so bad. You see, dear friends, sometimes our unfaithfulness is because we fear faithfulness. If I did what God wanted me to do, I wouldn't like the results. So it's a whole lot easier to just run. It's not just that we often fear the results of obedience, but here's the other implication of why Jonah is running, is that we often feel superior because of our obedience. We often feel superior because of our obedience. Here's what I mean. Why is Jonah running? He doesn't want the Ninevites to experience grace. Why? They're Gentiles. Do I need to remind you, God, who's the good team? Do I need to remind you, God, that we're the good guys, they're the bad guys? I know you came to me with a gracious offer, of which I said no to, but you shouldn't extend the same type of gracious offer to them. Don't you see Jonah is the older brother in the prodigal son? The younger brother comes home from reckless living to experience what? The grace of a father. What does the older brother do? He crosses his arm and pouts in the corner. I didn't run. I didn't blow my inheritance. I'm the good son. 
And while the father is throwing a party for his repentant son, do you know what the older brother is doing? He's outside refusing to go in. The point, you ask, is that you can run from God through religious living just as much as you can reckless living. Because running is not being that alcoholic who left his family and spent some time in prison. Running from God is the Christian who's never watched a rated R movie, only listens to Christian music, has memorized some Bible verses, and thinks that because he or she does those things, he is more accepted in the eyes of God. And yet what you don't know when you think that way is you're actually running away from the gospel and towards your own righteousness. Because the gospel says you come not of a righteousness of your own, you receive a righteousness of God. And there is nothing that you can do to make you more acceptable in His eyes, so why are you trying to just add to it? The gospel says to Wes Feltner, it doesn't matter that you're white. It does not matter that you're American. It does not matter that you are Baptist. It doesn't matter that you have money in the bank. It doesn't matter that you don't have a criminal background. You are no more deserving of the grace of God than a criminal on death row. Why? Because you were a criminal on death row until Jesus took your place. And the moment my heart runs to something to feel a little bit more superior, just a little, than anybody else, the moment my heart runs there, it's running in the opposite direction of God. Jonah runs... His sin is insulting, intentional, indifferent, and irrational right here because he has an internal sense of superiority that caused him to misunderstand grace, which is why for the rest of the book we're going to learn just how mind-blowing grace is. And the truth is, dear friends, we do this too. Because there's a group of people in your life, there's some individuals in your life that you feel just a little more superior to. Maybe a lot. You mean to tell you who they are? Those stinking liberals. Those uppity, uppity conservatives. Those poor people who need to learn a work ethic. Those rich people who sit up there in their mansions, greedy. Muslims. You do realize you can look down your nose at people that you think look down their nose at people? You realize that you can be so for the sanctity of life, of which I am, but that you slander people made in the image of God because they disagree? Do you realize you can be so anti-discrimination that you discriminate against people you see as bigots? Do you realize you can be so for 
tolerance that you become intolerant of people who aren't as tolerant as you? Do you see? If you're not growing in the grace of God, your heart will run to anything to make it feel superior. And when that happens, you're more like Jonah than you think. The truth is, many of us this morning would say, love my enemies, not a chance. You don't know what they said about my wife. Forgive them, you don't have a clue how much they hurt me. Serve them, they wear saggy pants and listen to rap music. <laughs> we don't want any Ninevites in our church, Pastor. Be on mission, mm, they'll reject me. You do realize they throw Christians in prison over there. Somebody brought me the gospel, but I'm not going to take it to them. Come to faith in Jesus Christ this morning for the first time. Nah, I got better things to do. In every single one of those examples, you are on a ship to Tarshish and you don't even know it. And until you're willing to admit that you're running from God, you will never run to God. Until you are willing to say, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You'll never say, here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. In his book, All I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, Robert Fulgram recalls about a time as he's watching some children play hide-and-seek about his own childhood when he would play hide-and-seek. Listen closely to what he writes. Did you ever have a kid in your neighborhood who always hid so good nobody could find him? We did. And after a while, we'd give up on him and go off, leaving him to rot wherever he was. Sooner or later, he'd show up all mad because we didn't keep looking for him. We'd get mad back because he wasn't playing the game the way it was supposed to be played. There's hiding and finding, we'd say, and he'd say it's hide and seek, not hide and give up. <laughs> and we'd yell about who made the rules and how we wouldn't play with him anymore if he didn't get it right and things like that. But no matter what, though, the next time he'd go and hide too good again. He's probably hidden somewhere right now for all I know. <laughs> and as I write this, the neighborhood game goes on. There's a kid under a pile of leaves in the yard just under my window. He's been there a long time now. Everybody else is found and they're about to give up on him over at the base. I considered going out and telling them where he was hiding. I thought about setting the leaves on fire to drive him out. <laughs> Finally, I just yelled, get found, kid. Scared him so bad he probably wet his pants and ran home crying to his mother. <laughs> hide and seek. Wanting to hide, 
needing to be sought, confused about being found. What will people think? I don't want anyone to know. Ollie, ollie, oxen free. The kids in the street are hollering the cry that says, come on in wherever you are. It's a new game. Some of you friends are like Jennifer Wilbanks, the runaway bride. Like Jonah, the runaway prophet. Like neighborhood children in a game of hide and seek, you're running and hiding behind a reputation, behind a comfortable life, behind a religious routine, behind a whole lot of excuses. And fear and pride will keep you running because it's a whole lot easier to keep running than to get found. But the good news of the gospel is one night in a garden, the word of the Lord came to another prophet of God, and he said, Arise and go, not to Nineveh, but to a cross. Not for a sinful city, but for a sinful world. And on that night, Jesus didn't run. But for the joy set before him endured a cross so that this morning the word of the Lord would come to you. Ollie, ollie, oxen free. Come on in. Wherever you are, it's a new game. Let's pray. Father, there are ships headed to Tarshish this morning called our hearts. Would you bring them home? Would you bring them home? There may be some in this room who have never been home before. What is waiting for them right now is the open arms of a loving Father that says, come on in. There are others in this room who have been in the back corner pouting because life hadn't gone their way. It's time to stop standing outside and come into. But here's what I know, God. You know our hearts better than we do. Thank you for loving runaways. In Jesus' name, amen.